Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Jack the Lad podcast. On today's episode we've got Joel Friesen and he is a cross-continental cyclist, author, advocate for survivors of human trafficking and he's also studying law with the hopes of using his degree to combat said human trafficking. So everyone give him a warm welcome. It's an honour to have him on the podcast. I'm absolutely stoked to have him on. Warm welcome. Here's Joel, everybody. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Jack. It means a lot. When you uh, reached out, I was honestly just excited to make the connection and, and have a great conversation talking about crazy travel, human trafficking, all that stuff. So I'm fired up to be here. Yeah, I mean, I came across you on Instagram, on Reels, uh, as I do with uh, a few of my guests. And yeah, your the video that I came across was yeah the Belgian flag, the Indian flag, and then you just obviously going along on your bike. So straight away, yeah. I was like, this is the sort of you know guest that I want to get on. I, I like to get people on that are you know going out there doing things that are out of the norm, uh, but then again, are sort of very achievable for. I, you know, the tag of the podcast is ordinary people, extraordinary stories, and right. yours, you know, couldn't fit within that within that box any better, to be honest. I I completely agree. I think that's uh, yeah, very true. When uh, when we decided, when I decided to do this bike trip, and then I asked my buddy Brad Dornian to come along with me to bike from Belgium to India over six months. Um, neither of us were cyclists. And neither of us had done this type of travel where you're moving from one spot to the next camping along the way. And by the time we arrived in Europe, we'd done one practice ride, which was a 70 kilometer cycle. We camped in Squamish, BC and 70 kilometers back. And then a couple rides on the stationary bikes at the gym. And that was it. We bought these brand new touring cycles, rode them once, and then hopped on a plane across the ocean and, <laughs> and basically started cycling. So it really is. A- anyone can do something like that, but they just got to be crazy enough, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you say crazy enough, and it is a, a crazy amount of distance that you traveled. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, you know, like we both said there, it is, it is achievable for people. And I do think people probably hold their self back a lot more and you know don't try and put themselves out of their comfort zone i mean there's a lot of that you know in the world uh people just stay in their comfort zone and it's the same in their jobs as well a lot of people get a job and then that's them and they, they you know there's job security and all the rest of it but yeah so right let's take us take us back so when did this whole adventure begin yeah i guess the the beginning was in the summer of 2015 i was uh in between years of university and i wasn't sure that i wanted to do what i was studying i was studying psychology and i found it fascinating but i didn't see a purposeful path forward uh with that degree i had just gotten out of a relationship. I was kind of having a quarter life identity crisis and I was working water and sewer construction. It was just gross work. I was, I was pretty down and I was like, what, 
what am I passionate about? And for me, it was combating human trafficking, using my, my freedom, um, my resources and, and, and network to, to combat human trafficking, but I didn't have a degree. And I was like, it's going to be a bit foolhardy if I, if I go out there and I try to combat human trafficking without having a degree, without having expertise. And so I realized, well, one thing I can do is I can fundraise. So I thought about it. I was like, okay, I want to cover a large distance. And I knew that in India, um, it was just a really bad place in terms of human trafficking. India is a beautiful place, diverse culture, amazing, amazing people, but uh, human trafficking runs pretty rampant and in a lot of ways goes very unchecked. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll cycle to India and I'll raise money for an organization um, that's helping to rescue and rehabilitate women and children who have been trafficked. And I decided I'm going to start on one side of Europe Belgium was honestly like a random pick. I'd never been to Belgium before. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start there. And then uh, once I kind of picked the route, I reached out to my buddy, Brad Dornian. Um, he was one of the only people I knew who I thought might actually say yes to doing this thing with me. Kind of like you said, he, he just, he wasn't a guy who would let himself get stuck. You know, he, he just always made sure whatever he was doing with work, um, he, it was sustainable or he could pick up and leave at any point and come back. And I, I was willing to give up a year of school to, to take a run at this thing. So over the next year, we just started to plan. And by plan, I don't actually mean plan. We didn't, we didn't do any planning. We didn't do enough planning at all. Um, but we just started sort of to map out the route a little bit, make sure we had all the equipment we needed so we would hopefully survive this thing. Uh, it was going to be six months across 17 countries. We were aiming at about 10,000 kilometers is what we were going to, going to hit. And yeah, that was it. Summer of 2016, we, we hopped on a plane and, and headed for Belgium. And that's sort of how the trip came to be and how we got over there. So how old were you when that started then? I was 21, 21 when, when we left, 21 years old. Brad was a little older. He was 27. All right. So you, you know, you get to Belgium. Did you fly directly to Belgium? We, we flew to Amsterdam um, and we should have just started in Holland, but I just told everyone we're starting in Belgium. So I was like, okay, we'll get a train down um, from Amsterdam and then first city in Belgium, we'll just unpack our bikes from the, from their boxes on the plane, get them set up and then we'll, we'll get out of here. And so we flew into Amsterdam, our bags got lost and they had the tool that put our, that we had to use to put our bikes back together. So we waited three days in Amsterdam. And then as soon as the boxes showed up, we, we literally just ripped them open threw the bikes together tossed them on a train as soon as we crossed the border into belgium it was antwerp we we hopped off at a train station and and that was basically the beginning of the trip and uh the <laughs> the craziest thing happened and this is just going to kind of set the uh oh, what's the word it's just going to set the mood for how unprepared we were for this journey we had been gifted a military grade GPS by 
uh, one of Brad's family friends. And, and we were just so dumb that we assumed it would have maps downloaded on it. And this, we were relying on this GPS alone to get us from Belgium to India. Without it, we were, we were done. And we get to the train station. I'm setting up the bike. Brad looks at it. He's like, Joel, there's no maps downloaded. And in that moment, I was like, we're screwed. We are done. There's no way we're going to make it to India. There's not a chance. And we just decided, okay, well, we're going to cycle east. We left. We headed east, what we thought was east. We did a big loop of the city. Um, ended up back in almost the exact same spot. And I was like, this is just horrific. This is our first day. We can't even get out of Antwerp. And so we go to a, it was some sort of youth center that had Wi-Fi. We had an iPad and an iPhone 4. And I just looked up the map and screenshotted 16 images on the iPad. And I was like, we're going to use these 16 still images to get us from Antwerp to Cologne, Germany. And that's where I had a friend and we were going to stay with him for a few days and kind of just see that was like the test run was those first four or five days to get from Antwerp to Cologne. And so we, we managed slowly and painfully asking strangers for help and directions. We made our way to Cologne. And when we got there, my friends like, guys, you're so dumb. You have a GPS built into your iPhone four. And that's when we found out we could uh, make maps, download them offline and, and journey like that. So things got a little easier after that point, but it was a it was a rocky start. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't prepare in the slightest, to be honest. <laughs> it's it's pretty accurate. So, did the journey from Belgium to Germany did that take sort of three four days? Did you get it in the sort of time frame that you were looking for? Yeah, yeah, we got it in the time frame roughly. We it was only about two hundred fifty kilometers. Um, but it did, it took us a bit longer than it should have, but I think it was about three and a half, three and a half days. Um, that first stretch. Yeah. We found a, we found a canal and that's the really nice thing about cycling in Europe is you've got canals. So you have water nearby. They're relatively straight, relatively flat. And that, that made it, uh, doable. Otherwise, I don't know if you'd, well, you've thrown us into Kazakhstan, uh, in that same situation. I don't think we're, I don't think we're making it. So we had this nice kind of trial period of like the canal, smooth roads, having a friend's place to look forward to that kind of helped us ease into the trip. Yeah. I mean, like East, East Europe and that is, is in central Europe, I suppose, is uh, quite sort of known for how smooth its roads are, how, you know, how well kept their roads are. Uh, and how flat yep. it all is. So yeah, it was probably a good good starting point, and it is a good way to sort of ease you into it. Um, yes. As my listeners will know, because they'll have heard it multiple times. Um, obviously, I'm not. You know, I I, I cycle. I've, I've just recently done a triathlon. Um, so wow. on the cycling side of it, what what gear did you pack? Like, what did you have to cycle? Did you have your clip-ons? Did, you know, what what's what was your sort of head-to-toe gear? Oh, I'm gonna make myself sound like a complete, really a complete idiot. It's so funny when you ask that. Um, we did not have clip-ons. We, I had this mentality. I was a 21 year old. I could have known a bit more about the world, but 
I had this mentality that we're going to want to get off our bikes, you know, sometimes, and we're going to want to get off them. And maybe if there's a mountain nearby, we're going to want to go hike that. So I was like, Brad, we're going to wear hiking boots. So we, so we, we wore hiking boots uh, to cycle in every day, like ankle high hiking boots. And it was horrible when they got wet. It took days to dry. Um, I'm sure we had fungal infections going on in our feet. It was, it was ridiculous. There were a few points where I remember being so thankful that we had cycled with hiking boots, but they were few and far between. Um, yeah, no, in retrospect, I would have done it differently. I don't think I would have worn clip-ons because of some of the roads we did end up on. You needed at least a runner um, to be able to, to navigate that. But then in terms of other gear, we had some great gear. That's the part that I, I feel really grateful that we had good input in. Um, we opted for a wood burning stove because we camped 90% of the nights. Um, we'd sometimes stay at a hostel to get showered and have a good sleep, but we were pretty much camping the whole way across Europe and Asia. We got a, a wood burning stove, which was really nice because it meant we didn't have to carry any gas canisters with us and we didn't have to worry about running out of gas. So as long as we had twigs and and wood and anything nearby, we could, uh, we could cook a good meal. Um, we had like one good rain jacket, each had a pair, basically a pair of riding shorts, um, which weren't actual riding shorts. I'm talking just athletic shorts. We found those more comfortable, um, which is an unpopular opinion amongst cyclists. And then our hiking boots, we had a pair of runners for just when we arrived in different cities. Um, our cooking setup was pretty simple, all collapsible. And I'm trying to think we had a, a solar panel for charging our, our phones. We had our, obviously our sleeping bags, mats, tent, and then our bike repair kit. And other than that, it was, uh, it was pretty minimal. We tried to carry as little with us as we possibly could. That was going to be my next question, actually. I was going to say to you, was when you packed, was there sort of an emphasis on making sure that you did pack minimal or was that overlooked until you got to a certain point and then you went, actually, we need to lose some of this? Yeah, I think the next stop after Cologne, the next major stop was Prague. That was about a nine-day stretch from Cologne, Germany to Prague, uh, Czech Republic. And in Prague, we'd, we'd been going for a couple of weeks now. And we, we kind of knew like, these are the things we can drop or we thought we knew we could drop. And these are the things that we're using absolutely every day. These are the essentials. Basically in Prague, we just sent home layers. Like we had hoodies on us and thick fleeces and we just got rid of those. We just each had one, one warm layer and a nice, a solid, we had like Arcteryx um, rain jackets, which I don't know. You guys have Arcteryx over there. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's a pretty, maybe not, maybe not look it up. It's a, it's a phenomenal outdoor, um, brand and a friend of his same family friend had actually uh, donated those to us. They're like $600 rain jackets that we got, we got for the trip, but yeah, we dropped things in Prague and, and shipped them back home to Canada. And from there we were pretty much good for gear. We didn't, we never really had to top up on besides food and water, we, we didn't really have to like add or get rid of more things after that. Was there anything that you didn't pack to begin with that you then obviously purchased on route um, that 
you ne- didn't necessarily overlook, but you just didn't think you would need it, and then you you know it came apparent quite quickly that oh, actually we need X Y Z. I think in that regard, we were pretty good. We had like a water filtration system. Again, we had that wood burning stove. The um, solar panel was really, really huge. The one thing was spokes. So like I said, we weren't avid cyclists before the trip. We figured, okay, we might get some pop tires. Um, That'll be about the extent of it. And the first thing that went on one of our bikes was a broken spoke. And, you know, the rim just kind of gets a little misshapen, a little wobble in it and starts to grate against the frame. And we were very lucky. The first time when we broke a spoke, we were on the eastern side of Germany and we had just met these two, uh, I think they were 18 or 19 year olds from the Czech Republic. And we were kind of cycling with them for a few days and a spoke broke and we were, Brad and I were like, I didn't know those could break. We were so clueless. And this, uh, this kid, Vladimir, he's like, you guys, you don't have extra spokes. We're like, no, dude, we, we don't have a clue. So he showed us how to fix a spoke and they had extras. And then after that, we, yeah, we picked up just a bunch of spokes and, and carried those with us. Cause we were breaking those oh, quite often. I think we were a bit, um, heavy on the back. We, we, we had, uh, overloaded our back end of the bike. So we were we were popping spokes pretty frequently. Um, but that was the main thing was just spokes. And after that, it was just, um, and having enough water. That was the biggest thing was we started off in Europe, two bottles was enough. We could fill them up wherever we wanted. But by the time we got to Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, we were packing as much water as we possibly could. And it wasn't enough. Like you could never, like, I don't know how to describe this. You could never have enough water for cycling through Kazakhstan. It was crazy. Yeah. You mentioned there about having a water filtration system. What, what yeah. water filtration did you have? It was, it was a pretty basic one. If, if I did the trip again, I would have had a different one. It had been gifted to us. Um, so it's the one we used. It was basically just one of those ones where you basically take the, it's like a bag and you just go scoop a bunch of water from wherever or fill it up at a tap and then you screw on like a squeezy top and the, the basically the top of it as you squeeze it then into your water bottles it filters the water out but it took uh, it took way too long to filter and by the end we were just drinking we, we really we were drinking anything we were we were getting water from taps in Azerbaijan I remember this one time um, we were out of water and we went to this gas station and, and the tap, the water was just full of rust. And we we're like, all right, we're drinking rust water. We need, we needed the water more than we were worried about what was in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was that. Yeah. I'm sure there was some uh, precious metals consumed during that time as well then. So absolutely. Yeah. Cause I only asked about the water filtration because I know that there's uh, you get the, uh, I don't know what they're called, but they're like a water filtration pen where you sort of stir it in. Yes, and you stir way it so better. Long, don't you? It's like a UV pen thing. Way better, uh, way faster. Yeah, 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 definitely. And that's that kills like literally everything. The, the water can look, you know, like muddy, whatever, murky and horrible. But yeah, once you give that a give that a whiz, it's good to go. Which I've, I, I think still there's a certain 
mindset with that because I still right. think f- at least 50% of people still wouldn't drink that just because it doesn't yeah. look like water. Um, yeah, it's totally. that sort of a mindset that I think sets people like yourself apart because you're like, even it though it's a little thing and it's, you know, it's something that, you know, everyone takes for granted. You turn it, well, in this country, you know, you turn the tap on and, and water comes out. You don't have to do anything for it. Yeah. Um, and just sort of them little things would put people off, not, you know, especially the, obviously the distance is going to put a lot of people off anyway, but just them yeah. sort of little bits when you start thinking about what you're going to have to do each day, the mileage that you're going to have to cover each day or the kilometres, whatever. And then just going through it and I think, I mean, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, but you, if I was taking on that challenge, I wouldn't look at it as we're covering 10,000 miles. I would look at it as, or 10,000 kilometres. I'd look at it that we're covering... 50 kilometers a day or whatever the math works out yeah, this yeah. is what we've got to do we've got to hit 70 here while we're in belgium yep. we'll do more because we're flatter when we hit kazakhstan and where it's hilly or whatever i mean again obviously with your lack of prep in the maps i don't know whether you had gradients and stuff like that no um, but yeah and you'd and that's that's how i would tackle it i'd tackle it as yeah, yeah. a load of small issues rather than one big one because you get you know when you're starting in the weeds at ten thousand kilometers you're like how are we going to do this this is right unachievable yeah, it's seeing the it's seeing the hole and breaking it down into like something that's actually palatable that you actually can like bring yourself to believe you can do. And I think that was part of the problem for us at the beginning. Um, why it was so mentally taxing the first few weeks was because we were looking to India. We were looking to 10,000 kilometers. We were doing we were doing 100 kilometers a day and then with the rest days that that got us there in about 5 months and then we spent a month in India. But you're 100 percent right, and I think that's your your military background and your just your perspective coming through there, and and my perspective now of you got to approach these things um, in ways that you can actually in achievable daily goals, and that's how it became. It became okay. We just let's let's hit 90, and then we'll start looking for a place 90 kilometers. Then we'll start looking for a place to sleep, and when that became the goal became much easier than than looking ahead to the end of the trip which was you know you could say well in five months we'll be in india but when you're on the road in the middle of you know georgia or azerbaijan it's like that that's you can't get your brain around that idea you have to just go okay let's do today and then let's do the next day and you take it like that i completely agree yeah yeah definitely so you're where have we got to now so we're out we're on germany aren't we now so far yeah to, to czech republic um yeah. was kind of kind of yeah in between there we we really figured out germany and czech republic we really figured out some of those things those valuable things like how to fix a spoke we we really didn't know even how to fix a pop tire which is crazy to think um yeah even even just where to get food, where to get water, what shops, how to, how to kind of just do life on the road, how to even be together on the road. Um, Brad and I did not know each other that well before we went on this trip. So this was a huge adjustment of your spending. I really think for about five months, six months, um, we weren't, we were like maybe a handful of times more than 500 feet from each other. Like we, we did everything together. Yeah. Right. And so, and you've got all day to think you're cycling for six to eight hours a day and your brain is just, you're just in your thoughts 
And then there's this other person there. And when you're irritated, you're frustrated, that person's taking the brunt of it, you know? So we were figuring out how to ride, how to make this thing happen, how to be friends and how to not kill each other and how to actually like spur each other onward so we could complete this thing. And uh, yeah, making it to Prague was a big milestone. It felt good. It was like, okay, we've got two weeks under our belt. We made it this far. Maybe we can do it. Yeah, I just want to jump in there because you you just yeah. spoke then about um, how you know you're in your thoughts for the hours while you're on the bike. What sort of conversations are you having to start with then? You said you weren't like you know close friends. I imagine you're like brothers now. Yeah, um, we are. So when you you know you're first sort of establishing that sort of bond and whatnot, yeah. what are the conversations that are coming up and how you know how are you? Because I think another sort of major part for other people is when you're not riding, filling the time mm-hmm. with stuff, you know, to do. I mean, you go into different countries and stuff, so there's always something new to see in, you know, every country you're visiting. But, yeah. you know, most people finish work, you know, make their make their tea or their dinner, whatever they want to call it, and then they sit in yeah. front of the telly for a few hours. So, that you know, their entertainment right. is given to them. They don't have to do anything to establish entertainment. So right. what are your evenings looking like as well at the, at the start? And did you sort of, did you then end up with sort of a schedule going, you know, we, we you know, we're going to cycle this amount of hours each day, regardless of how far we go. We'll set up wherever we're going to set up and then we'll go off and, you know, actually use our walking boots for what they're supposed to be used for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's some, there's some great observations in there, Jack. I think the first one I'm just going to say briefly is, you said you guys must be like brothers by now. And that's actually something that I think it was, it was kind of wild when I came back from the trip, people said, are you guys still friends? And I was like, what do you mean? Are we still friends? We're like closer than we've ever been. Like it's unbelievable the bond, but I met so many people who traveled with people together and came back, not friends anymore. And I was like, why, why is that? And I think it's because we didn't have a choice. We had committed. We decided like, this is, we're doing this thing. We're doing it with this person and we're going to make it work. And, and then we actually, we didn't just have a casual trip through Europe. We, we had a, we bonded over the trials of the journey. And that just, Brad is one of my dearest friends. He is like a brother to me. Um, but then, yeah, to, to the evenings. Oh, when we finished biking every day, we didn't want to do anything else. We would kind of, we, we would really kind of drag out the afternoon because we didn't want to stop too early because it was like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to talk for two hours? Are we, what are we going to do? And most of the time you don't stop in a city, like a nice scenic place. You're at the side of the road it's a field, it's a forest. Um, and so we, we basically pull up, realize, okay, we've crossed about a hundred kilometers. This space is, relatively secluded, relatively sheltered. We didn't really like people knowing where we were camping. So we'd be a bit off the main road or under a bridge. And that was just, it felt safer and protection from weather, uh, from rain and such. And then basically, yeah, we would cook dinner. We'd usually chat a bit cooking dinner and then we'd set up our tent and, and basically crawl in. I think we were going to sleep around eight PM most nights when the sun went down, we went to sleep. When the sun came up, we woke up. That was, it really was with the sun, uh, in the evenings, every night I would journal, which is why I was able to actually write this book that I'm writing is because I wrote something every day. This is what happened. This is how I felt. 
this is how Brad annoyed me today. Um, these are the people we met on the road, things like that. And Brad would, uh, he had a little, what are they called? Like a, one of those e-readers, e those, um, um, like a Kindle or Kindle. something. Yeah. Yeah. Kindle. Yeah. yeah. So he had one of those. So he did a bit of reading and, and I'd read, we kind of just, yeah, we'd read and if there was something to chat about. We'd chat. And, but over the, over the course of the journey, you'd think you'd run out of stuff to talk about, but we became closer and conversation became easier the longer we went on. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's the same. I, I only say that because obviously with like you mentioned earlier about my military career and stuff like that, um, you go through, you know, training with lads and you, you end up spending like a year with them. Right. Uh, and it's, well, it's almost as on top, I suppose, because there's lads that you'll go through phase one with, which is like three months, uh, that you you know that you're opposite bed space and then if they're going on to the same trade as you you're more than likely yeah. going to be in the same uh course group so there's every chance you're going to share a room with that guy i mean when i went through uh my my raf career for the first uh how long would it have been first sort of six months or whatever me and this lad literally lived opposite each other for the six months over the you know phase one and phase two training and the lads next door to us were the same those two lads that they, they right. literally were in the same room opposite each other and we, we're all still best mates now we still talk we meet up every now and again uh, I mean we couldn't be further apart we've got one lad lives in Plymouth one lad lives up near Newcastle so they're literally opposite yeah. ends of England so we meet sort of central every now and again or if someone's having you know wedding or whatever uh, but we still keep in touch now. And it is, yeah, they're like brothers to me. I, I would do anything. If one of them rang me now and said, you know, I need you to come to me now. I need this, that, the other. Then, you know, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Um, yeah. and, it, and it's the same. Like you're living with that. But are you in one tent or are you, is it two tent? You've got a tent each. We were we were in one tent, but we, we had, uh, I think it was Brad's dad had the wisdom to say, you guys are going to want a three-person tent. Don't get a yeah. two-person tent. You will kill each other. And so, yeah, we had a, we had a three person tent, but you're still sleeping. There's just room for two mats side by side. And that's that, but yeah, you know what that's like. And, and probably to a greater extent too. It's a, it's a very bonding to struggle alongside someone for that amount of time. You see their character, you see um, how they respond to stress. And you can only, in my opinion, you can only grow in respect for a person under those conditions. Um, unless what is revealed is something not positive, but most of the time you're, you're just, I just respect people more and more. Yeah. So I, I respect Brad a ton. It's very, very hard to not show your true colors under sort of yes. extreme circumstances. Yes. And, and that's sort of when people are found out. Uh, so yeah, so we're in Czech Republic now then. Yes. And how did, how did that go? How was Czech Republic? What sort of, what, what was the standout thing in Czech Republic that you either learned or witnessed that you, you know, that stayed with you? Yeah. Czech Republic, like things go pretty fast from here. Um, we start to sort of just blitz through countries. So Czech Republic, it was just, we had a break there. There was a, a family friend had an apartment there. She wasn't staying in it, but she gave us access to it. And so we had a couple of days there to just recoup and be like, okay, how are we doing? We got our bikes tuned up in Czech Republic. We realized we had beaten the shit out of those bikes. And, uh, and the, so they, they got a good, a good fixing up. 
we just basically evaluated our systems. Like I said, what we could leave behind, what we needed with us, what we had to top up on in terms of food moving forward. And then out of Czech Republic, we, I'm going to botch the exact order of countries. This is going to be embarrassing, but it was kind of Austria, Slovakia. We just dipped into Austria for about a half day, Slovakia, um, Hungary. Hungary was pretty, so a couple of things, um, and I'll tell these stories in their, in their short form, um, just being aware of, of time. Austria, we was the first time we ever ran out of food. Um, I don't know why, but Brad hadn't been tracking. I don't mean to put all the blame on Brad, but we kind of had our different roles, you know, we had our schedules and like when we took apart the campsite, we each did our different thing. We needed those schedules in that order to keep us sane and just to make life feel like there was some structure to it. Cause we didn't know when we were going to eat, where we were going to sleep every day. And that's, that stress builds up. Um, so we ran out of food, Brad opens his pack for lunch. There's nothing in it. We're out of food. So I'm like, oh man, okay, we got to get going. And we realized there wasn't another town for, I don't know, 40, 50 kilometers. And we're without food, we're really low on water. So we deviate, we head up off the route and we, we head up to this town as a long shot. Like maybe there's a shop there. There were no shops there. It was like a ghost town. We didn't see a single person, no shops were like, and we just wasted 20 kilometers doing this. So we get back on route and we are just feeling it. I'm getting muscle spasms. I'm like dehydrated. It's probably 30, 30 degrees Celsius. It's a hot day. We eventually make it to this shop. We just, we slam back sandwiches. And that was the first day we're like, okay, we got to be on top of this. Like we have to always have food, always have water. We just can't put ourselves in that position again. Um, so we leave, we leave Austria go through Slovakia. That was a really quick, quick sort of jaunt. And then into, or maybe I'm getting the, the order of that mixed up, but then we go into Hungary In Hungary, we wake up one morning. It's been a rainy night. It's a rainy day. It's just miserable. We wake up and I check the map. It's downloaded on our phone and it's gone. It's not downloaded anymore. So I'm like, Oh no, are you kidding me? So we were cycling through the town, but we forgot that it was a Sunday. And Sundays in some countries in Europe are still just dead. Shops are shut down, restaurants. There's no place you can get Wi-Fi. It's like 8.30 in the morning. We see this bar that's still open from the night before. And there's these guys smoking outside. We go up to them, start talking. They don't really understand us. So they go in to get their friend. This guy comes out. He's got dreadlocks down to his, like all the way down his back. And he says, uh, my name's Rasta. It's not my name, but it's what people call me. So we're like, all right, Rasta. Can you help us with Wi-Fi? So he's like, yeah, I can help you with Wi-Fi. So we follow Rasta. He takes us to his house. His mom comes out, greets us. She's this big woman. She gives us these massive hugs, welcome, welcomes us into their home. Um, she's got pancakes, coffee, everything just lined up, just loads us up and makes sure we bring extra with us. And it's just this incredible. It felt like, oh, the stress was gone. It was like you're just home. There's this, you've got a mom, like a mother taking care of you. It was this crazy feeling. And Rasta is so sweet. So we get our pancakes, our chocolate sauce, some extra coffee. We've downloaded our maps on Wi-Fi, and 
and we're basically heading on our way out of out of Hungary and um I believe Hungary was out of Hungary was heading into Romania but uh yeah that was that was kind of the next few countries after the Czech Republic right and we'll leave it there for this week's episode and if you would like to tune in next week and you can hear more from Joel thank you very much for listening everybody see you next week Bye.